Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. It's so good to see you today. Good to be back with you. I was sharing with uh, Brian just before service. I Being away last week um, was good. Appreciated the time to be away. And uh, it was the what I call the Vision Summit, but a week just to step out of the whirlwind of everyday activity, climb the mountain, and look into the future with the Lord. And just pray and uh, do a lot of reading, thinking, and seeking Him as to where He's leading us as a church family. And so really appreciate that time. And then Tam and I were able to get away <clears throat> over the weekend. But being away from you... Um, and this time of worship just leaves a hole in my heart for the rest of the week. And so God pours out his grace through our times of, of worship. So good to be back together, excited for the future. I bring news to you, um, similar to what I brought last year, some really good news about what's coming. I saw the future and it's beautiful for one reason. The Lord promised, I will be with you every step of the way. <laughs> so what what is coming though, we're not sure, but one of the things that did emerge that um, excited about, I can't share this with you until September of 20 of this year, but it's our theme for the coming year. And it is a good one, pumped and was able to kind of get a window into where he's leading us in his word, preaching calendar and then some initiatives. So, uh, but, but great to, to be together today and excited for where we are. As a ministry team, we're halfway through our year, our ministry season. And so this is kind of like, and this, this message series is kind of like that halftime, here we go, let's finish strong. And today's message is actually really at the heart of our theme for the year, which is disciple following Jesus together. So excited to dive into God's word together. To set this up, there's a moment out on the back patio of our church, beautiful summer day. I'm out there with this young warrior, Kyle Fox. He's an intern at our church at the time. And uh, he throws, he lobs up this question that looked like a softball just coming right over the strike zone. And I am just salivating, ready to just plaster this, this question over the center field fence. I mean, it is going to be a teachable moment. Wonderful, you know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi with Luke Skywalker moment. But as it's getting closer, I start to mumble and fumble with my answer, and I just barely slap a dribbler back to the pitcher, and it's a ground out of an answer. It was horrible. And I, I, uh, what was the question? He asked me, how do I make a disciple? I'm like, Sweet. Kyle, that's what we do. That's our mission. Help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Make disciples. That's what we do. But like, how do I do that with my friend? The five habits and the five heart attitudes of our church. Worship, reach, connect, grow, serve. And the habits that go along with those and forming the heart attitudes. Okay. But how do I do that with my friend? I don't know, man. Just do it. (laughs) is in essence what I said and I was like I so hope Kyle forgot this moment I asked him this week did you do you remember that talk we had on the back patio he still remembers it humbling and uh but but uh but it lit lit it up in me am I clear on this what would you say if he asked you that question or your kid asked you that question what what's your answer 
Well, today, the burden of the, the, this message and, and the text that we'll be looking at is that we would be able to answer that question with crystal clarity, which helps us know what it means to be a disciple, but also make a disciple. And then it would stoke in us a passion to be about that. And so we're going to look at, uh, through Mark, we're going to walk with Jesus into four locations where we gain clarity around what it means to be a disciple. What we'll find at each of these locations is a three common components or a summary of what it means to be a disciple, but each location gives us a little window into something unique in terms of, of what it means to, to be a disciple and then make a disciple. And so the first location is a good one to go to in February. We're, we're headed to the Sea of Galilee. So if you would join me in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Appreciated Pastor Tyson's message last week and just that brought us to the core of, of repent and believe. And so what's the next step after repenting and believing? And Mark takes us right into to what Jesus is doing. He says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. This is a, in the NIV is what we're reading from. Your translation may be a bit different. The NIV's translation is a bit unfortunate. I know what the translators are trying to do and get the gist of, of what, what Jesus is talking about. But, the, but if you would, you might jot out to the side of your Bible, the literal translation, what, what the originals say in the Greek is, I will make you to become fishers of people. I will make you to become fishers of people. At once they left their nets and followed him. We look at that as being a little strange if it's a one-time, like, who just drops everything? Jesus has probably had um, conversations with them. We know he was around the, the area. Many people are following him. So this isn't, probably isn't their first encounter with Christ or his teaching. And a rabbi in that day was a greatly esteemed person. So to be called from fishing to, to follow a rabbi was a big deal. But it says, when he had gone a little further he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, uh, John, in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their, their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. What's it mean to be a disciple as we watch this first scene play out? What do we learn here by the sea? And I love the way John Mark Comer, in his book, Practicing the Way, defines it. And we'll work with this definition. We see it here in this text. It means to be with him, to be like him, and to do as he did or do as he does. The essence of being a disciple is summed up in Jesus's phrase where he says, come follow me. It's to be with him. And then when he says, and I will make you to be, it's to become like him. And then as he says, I will make you to be fishers of people, it's to do what he did. When he says, come follow me, just to, to bask in this for a moment, the call to discipleship or to follow Christ is a call into intimacy with him. And this is the precious, precious reality of the gospel. And just, we can be forgiven of our sin and, and it's to enter into a, a love relationship with our Lord where we walk with him, where we follow him, where we live close to him. I love the picture of living in his shadow. You know, where, where we... We just want to stay with him, walk with him in, in a very real way, tangible way, and literal way. That's what the disciples did, wasn't it? They would, 
They were just, their priority was to be close to him, proximity to him, and so it is for us. And then as he says, and I will make you to be, we're reminded that it, this call to discipleship is a call to, to transformation, that, that he's making us to be like him in our own unique version of our personality, that, that we are becoming like Christ. And the comfort of this text, I remember when this first awakened in my thinking, initially we, we start to follow Christ and there's a temptation to do it in our own power. Like, I gotta suck it up and become this person. And no, God is the one, Jesus is the one who makes us. We, we can't make ourselves into his image. He makes us into his image. You say, well, what about the disciplines and what about the things he calls me to do, like read my Bible and all those things? Those are, we are positioning ourselves. We do have a part to play in that we offer ourselves up to him and we put ourselves under the waterfall of his grace, but it is his grace alone that changes us. And so this path of discipleship is a getting with him so that he can transform us to be like him. And then when we become like him, what happens? We do as he does. We, he, we go fishing for people in this context. And we uh, love that. I will make you to be fishers of men. What's he mean by this? Fishers of, of people. As he's ta- putting this in the context of these fishermen, he's saying the way you see fish, the way you value fish, the way you pursue fish, the way you love fish, you're going to love, value, pursue people. The way fish own your attention and, and are, are what you're about, people are going to be um, that for you now. And specifically, as we watch this play out, the passion will be to help people step into the joy of knowing Christ and following Christ and having a growing relationship with him. Notice their response. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. And today the question, as, we, as we're here at the sea, for us to ask is, is there anything that's keeping me from following him? The, the nets dropping on the ground. These guys walking away from their boats. The call to discipleship is a call to let go of life as we know it and th- the things around us. It's a call to surrender um, those to Christ. doesn't mean they're completely necessarily out of our life. We know these guys will go back to fishing and, and perhaps did, but he is priority now. And so the question, I think, good to ask, am I holding on to anything that's keeping me from an all-in surrender to him today? And Lord, is something I need to, to let go of. Another question just to consider, and I encourage you, I hope this kind of stokes them uh, as we read through these texts. We don't have time to fully uh, mine and, and pull out all the, these are, there's a treasury of truth in each one of these, but you could go back on your own. But one of the questions I'll, I'll just throw out there, why fishermen? Why did Jesus, why did the first four guys, two sets of brothers, are fishermen? Why? Wonder about that. And I, I can't help but think maybe fishing, he makes the connection of fishing for people, but what if fishing for fish is similar to fishing for people? And he's stacking the team with people who have some pretty good fishing skills. And, and it's going to be transferable into the call to be a disciple and to do what, do what he did. So it made me ask the next question, what makes a good fisherman? And so think of the fishermen that you know. And it's fun looking out through the church. I'm seeing, seeing you guys, and we got Clayton right here. And 
who was Liam Harold, man, as a young man, is, is an up-and-coming fisherman. My brother I was talking to Randy earlier this morning as a fisherman, Will Dotson, Brent. What, what, what makes these guys, what, what are common characteristics? Kevin Miller, ice fishing. Remember that story with Kevin ice fishing where he goes out when it's just very thin and gets out there and the ice breaks and he has to splash his way back? What, what, what's the common characteristics with our fishermen? tenacious. They go where the fish are. They don't stop. They're uh, hardworking. Endurance. I was thinking about Duck Dynasty, those guys. We watched the, Tam and I watched the uh, engagement ceremony, but they were supposed to be setting up a wedding and they got, they were all, they just off fishing. You just, you look around, where are they at? They're out fishing. It's on their mind. So things to think about. As we uh, think about the, at the, uh, what it means to be a disciple at the Sea of Galilee. All right, on to the next. What's it mean to be a disciple? To Levi's house is the next location. So Mark, and again, as Tyson mentioned last week, Mark, he moves. And he takes us to this next scene. We'll jump a few verses that we'll come back and pick up later in this series. But chapter 2, Mark 2, 13 to 17 it says this, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, and literally the, the word is reclining in this culture, you would just recline on one arm and eat with the other. And um, it's a picture of just being laid back and hanging out with people. Many tax collectors, and I circled the word many, so this is a house full of tax collectors and sinners. So these are people with eyebrow-raising reputations, and there's lots of them here. We know a tax collector, which Levi was, was uh, basically you were considered a traitor to the Jews. You were working for Rome, and you were skimming the top off these taxes, getting rich on the backs of your own people as you served Rome. And they actually got kicked out of the synagogue. They were excommunicated from their church, from the synagogue. They couldn't even go to church. So that's the kind of people he's eating with. And it says, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were, who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in essence, they're kind of saying, hey, who is this guy? And, and this is wrong. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sin, but the, uh, but sinners. And you say, well, aren't the Pharisees sinners as well? And Jesus is in essence using irony and saying, you think you're righteous, but only those who admit they're they need a doctor, that they do have sin, are the ones that he will call. And we'll see later in the story as he seeks to lead even the Pharisees to himself. But as we, we know being a disciple, we'll, we'll summarize this phrase. It means to be with him, to be like him, to do as he does. What do we learn here at Levi's house as, as we see this uh, scene playing out? How does this bring moment or clarity around what it means to be a disciple and to make a disciple? Here we learn to be with him means sharing the ordinary moments of life together. And it's having dinner together. It's doing life together. We know Jesus has been teaching and the teaching component is huge. And he'll teach 
in those ordinary moments of life. But here, what's he teaching his disciples about what it means to be a disciple? It's just having dinner with, um, with one another. It's being together in that context. Discipleship is not just one hour on Sunday. It's sharing life together. It's here we learn to be like him is to have his heart for people who are far from God. This is when you stop and just really put yourself in the, the shoes of his disciples. And as they go into Matthew's house and they're with all these people who, these are people who are not going to go to church. So you think about your own world, your own social world. Who are the people in your life who there's no way they're stepping into a church? No way. I mean, you could invite them. These people have been kicked out of church, excommunicated. And Jesus is just doing dinner with them, which was a picture of intimacy. And like, wow. What's it communicate? His heart for people. And the fact that our sin, it doesn't push him away from us. He moves toward us in our sin. And as a church and as we follow Christ, there's that danger that we start to think because we get our outward performance kind of cleaned up that, hey, I'm better than or not as bad as. And I love what Dr. Hannah said in seminary. He's like, hey, if if you ever start to feel yourself getting self-righteous, like you're better than others, let's put your thoughts for a day up on this big screen and watch that during church. And then let's talk holiness. (laughs) We all need a savior. We're all sinners in this moment. And And may God give us his heart as Jesus had. May we be like him in that the sin of others doesn't repel us, but rather we're moving toward them with love, with grace, and with compassion. And then that we do as he did, that we fish for people. Here again, we gain clarity on what it looks like to to fish for people. What, What does he mean when he says, I will make you fishers of men? He will lead us to seek to be friends with and to do life with people who are far from God. This is one of those tensions in the Christian life, though, isn't it? Because when we come to Christ, we're called core to coming to Christ. That we see here is we find a group of Christ-focused, Bible-saturated, love-fueled, on-mission Christians to do life with and that help us in our journey and that protect us and encourage us. And, and that's, we gather, and this, on Sunday, we come together with people who are, are all in for him. And, and we desperately need this, and yet we also must never forget it can be so easy to think it's about this group. The reason we come together and the mission that he's given us is to, to go share him, to be his presence, to point to him, to help people go from lost to found, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of, his, the, of light of, of the Son of God. And, and so this requires that we are with people who are far from him, that, that we're doing dinner. <laughs> and you say, well, what, what's, why is that important? Where is trust built, especially in a post-Christian culture that we're, we're beginning to move into? Where is, is our relationships or friendships built? And it's just in those everyday moments. And so uh, the question as we are here at Matthew's house or Levi's house, I think is to be asking who is God calling me or how do I get with people who are far from God in my, in my context? And for many of you, I know that's work and God has put you in 
touch with people that none of us have opportunity to, to be with and just to be sensitive to the Spirit's lead and um, taking the opportunity to do lunch or have that talk in the car or, or what, whatever that may be. Some of us at school, who's the person at school that I could just um, maybe invite to a youth event or, or get to know and be Christ to them and point to Him. Maybe it's a hobby. I know our third space, for me, the third spaces, we call third spaces of You've got work, you've got home, and then you've got your third space that you spend time at, you know, some common love, common cause, but who is it that, that you could just be with that, that is far from God? Because as a disciple, we, we, uh, we're with him to become like him, to do as he did. And what did he do? He, he went fishing. He, he was with people. Go fish. I was, uh, we are in the midst of uh, nearing March Madness hoops. So fun. We're putting all our hopes on Purdue. Boilermakers, come on. And uh, <clears throat> and then also Danville basketball. <clears throat> Sectionals coming up. And if you guys haven't been following Danville hoops, doing a great job. And we've got a couple guys on the team. We're cheering them on. And <clears throat> church league basketball, championship week. So I thought we need a basketball illustration here. So saw one this week. Check this little guy out. <clears throat> Why is he doing this? There it is. His dad. He's been with him. He's becoming like him. He's doing as he does. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? All right. (laughs) A picture of us though, right? As we follow Jesus, it's... We're with him, becoming like him, doing as he does. All right, Mayhem. <laughs> that was good. Round two, are we done? All right, moving on. We'll go, uh, location three is to the mountainside. And so, interesting moment here. Has the disciples, the core team, has not really been called yet. Jesus has called these guys to follow him, but we know there's many, many people following him, and men and women throughout Jesus' journey are following him. And yet, here comes a moment that's one of those defining moments. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. It says, Jesus went up to the mountain on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. We know from Luke's gospel that when Jesus went up on the mountainside, he spent the night praying. All night praying. So it gives you a window into how significant this decision is. And in your own life, when you think about who is your 12, who is your three that you're following Jesus with, who does God want you to to help follow you in, but also to pour your life into, to to put that as a a time of prayer to, to seek God on that. But it says it there in verse 14, he appointed the 12, appointed 12 that they might, what? be with him. So there you see it again, be with him, but then not just to be with him, but to, we gather, but we scatter that he might send them out to preach. And what, what were they preaching? It was the gospel, the good news that salvation is found through faith in Jesus Christ and to have authority to drive out demons. So this is spiritual authority that they would go in his name, not in their own power, but to help people 
be set free from the strongholds that, that were holding them. And exciting to think we are called to do the, the same, aren't we? To share the gospel and to help people live free from the power of, of the enemy, of our soul. And sometimes I, I was thinking in my own life, I forget the authority that God is, has given us to live under as we go to make disciples, but to let people know by the power of the Spirit and as we pray and his, share His word and minister His word, it is, there's a power that is real to set people free. The most powerful force on the planet is the gospel of Jesus Christ, powerful to transform hearts, lives. And we have been uh, given that to steward as they were. And so he puts the team together. He says, these are the 12 that he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. I love how he nicknames the, the inner three. And he, he gives them the name Peter, a rock. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the, the names Benerges, which means sons of thunder. So in other texts we see they may have had a, a, uh, an anger issue. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So if being a disciple means to be with him, to be like him, to do as he does, what insight do we gain as we listen to him here on the mountain? I think the phrase that jumps out is verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. At the start. So this is, this is at the start. This is, in essence, day one of, of his kingdom and, and what we're a part of. At the start, it's team. Isn't that significant? It's not a one-guy thing or a one-woman thing. It is team. He appoints 12. He brings a team together. This is the formation of, of what he's doing it's a together thing. So the big idea, we follow Jesus together in community. We, uh, and, and then when he sends, us, sends them out, it's always, did you notice, together. It's in teams of two. And um, even, I was thinking about even his own life. As he hits his hardest moments, the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked, hey, would you guys come pray with me? I think modeling for us that this is a journey that we do together. A disciple, by definition, is doing life in team with other followers of Jesus. Say, what kind of team is this? I love just looking at this list of names and thinking. There's scholars that uh, make a pretty good argument that most of these guys were probably teenagers. And so they're young. Are, Are these guys mature in their spiritual walk? Would you even call them a Christian at this point? There, we know that Mark chapter 6, he sends them out to preach and cast out demons, and they do. But are they mature? To lesson for us on maturity, spiritual leadership and ministry doesn't equal maturity. We know they will leave him. They will, Peter will deny him. They have lots of maturing to do. So the people that God's called you to, to follow him with, are we're all in process, aren't we? <laughs> it's part of the, part of the journey. It's, um, we're growing. I think it calls us to be, be gentle with each other and patient with each other and compassionate with each other. We're, we're, we're all growing and, and going. I think you look at this list of names and you think, oh, wow, there's some big differences here. Simon the Zealot. What's that mean? It means he was 
the zealous, zealous for Judaism. So he was one of these guys that would basically lay down his life for the cause of Judaism and to defeat Rome. And then you got Levi, who's a tax collector who sold out to Rome, and they're on the same team. This is, this is going to be some interpersonal conflicts going on, and yet Jesus brings them together, and it's a reminder to us. We follow him. The beauty of the body of Christ is our diversity, isn't it? As you think about who God will call you to follow him with, it's, there's going to be some radically different people. We don't come into church looking for people just like us. So I can be, you know, surround, we look like, Lord, whoever it is, let's go. And when he puts that group together, our differences are so important. They, they help round us out, but also rub off our rough edges. And I, I just love the body of Christ and that it is, <laughs> you look throughout the world and you can't find anything more diverse and yet more unified, locked in when, when we're healthy and when we're strong. A couple years ago, I was on a Zoom call with a guy named Alan Augram. And Alan was a faithful pastor out in Colorado for many years. He had just written a book, and the group of pastors I was with, we were going through his book, and we were able to get him on a Zoom. So I'm like, sweet. Alan, I asked him, if you had one thing to do different, if you had your life to live over again and your ministry to live over again, what would your one thing be? And this is what he said without missing a beat. He said, I would go small, I would go slow, and I would go strong. I'm like, no way. That's what Jesus <laughs> does, did, calls us to. As you think about your life, okay, you got one life to make a difference for God. What would you do? I would go small, I would go slow, and I would go strong. I would go small. I'd invest in a small group of people. Who's your 12? Who's your three? I would go slow. I wouldn't get in a hurry. I, I'd let it be year after year after year, and I'd go strong. I'd push each other. We'd push each other. We'd call each other up. We'd be, we'd be honest. We'd be open. We'd be vulnerable. We'd be sharing life. And we'd be saying, are you taking up your cross? Let's go. In his book, Practicing the Way, John Mark Comer um, references a theory of spiritual formation which is not inspired. So this, if it's helpful, good. If it's not, you can let it go. But for me, it was helpful in that he mapped out. So we come to Christ. You could call this conversion when we trust Christ as our Savior. This begins a process, stage two of growth, where we become like Christ and we're growing. And then we move into stage three, which is productivity, where we're serving him, we're leading, etc. Before stages four, five, six, there's usually some sort of wall, which we talk about. And this is the, the sixth way of growth, which we covered in the last message series, core work, which is uh, trial. And God provides trials in our lives. He calls this the wall. It's a trial that you can't go around. You just have to go through it. And often people get stuck in this wall. But what God desires to do is stage four. It's called the journey inward where he purifies our motives. He changes us. He, he gets at those deep places in us, our pride and, and other things, things we're trying to trust in versus him and strips those away which moves us to stage five, which is a, the journey outward. It looks like stage three where we're serving him, but it's with it, we're a different person now. He's, we're more like Christ. Um, motives are different, That's, that type of thing. And then finally, we, we arrive at, what's the final stage? I love how he defines it. It's a life of love, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, loving uh, those around us as he loves with a sincere love. Most, we, we all probably have moments of that, but he says most people don't hit that stage in its full until they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s. And when you're in their, in their presence, you're in just pure love. 
and uh, you feel like you've been with Jesus type of deal. What struck me as he was explaining this is stages one to three, you can do, you need group to do them, community to do them, but, but it's not as essential. But to get through the wall in stages four, five, six, community is essential, crucial. think about the life of of Jesus and what he calls us into and it's just like oh (laughs) it's obvious it's from the start it's we follow him together so the question to ask at this location is who are my 12 who are my three who's my group when I'm not doing well and I'm struggling with my faith and struggling with life and struggling with whatever who could I call in the middle of the night and they're they're by my side and then it's praying, Lord, if I don't have those people, would you lead me to those people and, and help me step into relationship? And as a church family, we'd love to help you with that in terms of our one of the structures or ministries that we have is our small group ministry. Appreciate hey, Pastor Tyson and all of our small group leaders. But our hope prayer is that everyone has a group that, that you're following Jesus together that can be his presence to you, Christ-centered, Bible-saturated, love-fueled, on mission, and, and you're following him together and then we uh come okay final location is to the cross so one final uh place that he gathers with his disciples and really defines discipleship is in chapter 8 verse 34 then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with his holy angels. Is it possible to be a disciple of Jesus and not take up your cross? Is it possible to be a disciple and not take up your cross? And the answer from this text is clear, no. If we are, if you are a true disciple, you will be with him, be like him, do as he did. And we see from his life, he leads us. To a cross where he literally took up a cross and with love laid down his life to give us eternal life through faith in him. And he calls us to do the same. You say, well, what's that mean? What's a cross mean? For us, obviously, it's not literal. So what, what does this mean? It means denying our selfish self, surrendering to his will and sacrificing our self and our life for the good of those around us say well this mean i literally die for him and it could it's being willing to for in some parts of the country or world that happens for us that's usually not the case and in some ways i feel like where we're at it's just as tough because we can be lulled to sleep by our comfort and materialism but it means every day waking up and saying i surrender today lord to you to your will deny myself what I want and I will lay down my life for the people around me for the good of those around me 
during a Connect 101 seminar, our new member seminar, I was sitting with the family and the dad asked a great question. And he was, uh, we were talking about, they'd asked about finances and the uh, financial commitment. What if we join the church and what, what do we give? So I was trying to explain the nuances of Old Testament giving under the law and the tithe and all that and New Testament giving, grace giving, which is different. And he cut me off and he just said this great question. Here's what I want to know. What's it going to cost me? (laughs) And I knew he was talking about money, like bottom line. And so I answered it with that category in in view. But but the word that came to my mind, and I still remember the moment, and the word is crystal clear in my mind. What's the word? What's it going to cost me? What did I want to say, but I didn't say? Everything. Yeah. But what is it, what are you going to gain? And that's what I love about this text. Jesus is saying, take up your cross, come die, give everything your life. But here's the, the beautiful reality. It will be the best decision you ever made because you will gain eternal life. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And what's it profit a man, Warren Buffett, to gain the whole world and lose, not that Warren would lose, his, I don't know if he knows Christ, but... $4 billion, whatever billion dollars, and lose your soul, he says. And then he, I can't help but he thinks, but think he looked at Judas when he said this. Judas, you're, you're, you're wrestling with me or, or 30 pieces of silver? Don't. And then I can't help but think he looked at Peter when he said the last bit. Whoever is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. And he uses shame, which in this culture, it was a shame on our culture. It was huge to, I think, ready Peter's soul not to deny him. And we know Peter would deny him. There's grace. And then Peter ultimately finishes strong for him. But love this picture that our Lord just says, all right, follow me to the cross. As he brings us to our cross, he's leading us to surrender. I find comfort in the fact that we've all failed to pick up our cross, haven't we? And we will fail. But there's grace for that. Peter would fail. Judas would fail. What was the difference? Judas didn't come back. Peter did to seek forgiveness and grace. So this is a grace-filled walk and, and uh, man, it's hard and, and we're with each other in it. And yet we continue to um, get back up and surrender. And today may be a moment of surrender for you where you've, uh, God's brought a cross before you, a moment of self-denial and sacrifice for the good of someone else. And I and, uh, just need to say again, Lord, I'm all in. And I lay it down and, and I will pick up this cross and follow you. What a gift God has given us. Four moments that create clarity around what it means to be a disciple. We're by a moment by the sea at Levi's house, the mountainside, and at the cross. The common theme in each one of these we see is to be a disciple means to be with him, to be like him, and to do as he does. And the calling, I love the, the invitation there in Mark 8, whoever will be my disciple. And so today, I hope you, if you aren't following Christ, you hear his call to come follow me and step into this life. Tuesday evening, I pulled into the garage after work and looked back, and before I could close the car door, a lady was approaching me with walking her dog. It was a neighbor that I had known just at a distance. She and her husband would walk uh, the path in front of our house when I was out uh, grilling chicken on Mondays. And so we'd wave, talk, and then that was about it. And I had gotten to know their son a little bit through golf. He loves golf, and so we'd meet up at Twin Bridges and, and just talk golf. 
she comes up. Why was she coming up to talk to me? Uh, surprised by that? It was to say thank you. And she was just overflowing with gratitude. So I want to thank you for your basketball league. Number one, our son loves playing basketball again. But number two, he loves coming to church and had, had been oh, not excited to come to church, but now he does in the things of God. And she went on to explain how this started. She said one of his coaches took him out for lunch just to get to know him and then invited him to become part, come worship with us on Sundays, be part of our student ministry. And he came, and, and he's loving it. That coach who took him out to lunch was Jake Roof. Younger guy, follower of Christ. And I love that picture of being with, being like, doing as he did. In, in Jake's life. But then... You page back a couple years, and it was Kyle Fox, Michael Johnson, who were taking Jake out to lunch, being with, being like, doing as he did. And a disciple making a disciple making a disciple is how the kingdom of God goes and grows, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? And it, it pumped me up. We don't have to go change the world. We just have to say, okay, who are the people in my life, the three, the twelve, Let's go be with Jesus together. Let's go be like him together. And then let's go do as he do, do as he did. Let's go fish together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just this precious call to come follow you and the gift of following you together. And I thank you for the team that you've assembled here today. And Lord, as we just uh, reflect on your word now, I pray that it would find fertile soil in our hearts and lives. Lord, just stoke our passion to be with you, to prioritize your presence through prayer and time in your word. Help us to be like you. I pray that as you lived your life, we would live our lives in the five habits, the five heart attitudes. But I pray that it would move us to go do what you did and to be involved in reaching people who are far from you and offering the hope that, that we have in you. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.